Hi, I'm Lucy. And I'm Pinky. And you're listening to Thank Folk for Feminism. What have we got on the agenda this week, Luce? Ah, this week we are speaking to the fabulous Deirdre Graham, a Gaelic singer-songwriter based in Glasgow, but from the Isle of Skye, who's trying to um, ensure the tradition's longevity, I guess. And I think the reason that we were excited to speak to Deirdre is because we wanted to speak to somebody who was expressing themselves in another language, a language that isn't widely understood um, by many a folk listener, but has this deep and powerful tradition and Deirdre was just so knowledgeable and wonderful and helpful considering me and you know so very little about Gaelic traditions uh, so we hope that you enjoy what she had to say. Deirdre Graham thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank you so much for having me how are you doing? Well, thank you. All the better for having you on the show and finally being able to explore a music we haven't put forward on Thank Folk for Feminism before. So we're really pleased to have not just you, but Gaelic finally represented on the show. Oh, thank you so much. That's I'm absolutely buzzing for it. Yeah, we're so excited to be looking at a new or new for us area anyway, and expanding the remit of the podcast out of its neat container that it's maybe sat in for a little while. Um, So first thing we wanted to explore with you really was a bit about your background, but I guess also your journey into um, choosing the art form that you have and making that your sole focus. So I'm originally from the Isle of Skye up in the northwest coast of Scotland and I was born there and brought up there and brought up in a bilingual household but my mum is a Gaelic speaker and so I I grew up with Gaelic language and Gaelic song. She, My mum was a singing teacher, Gaelic singing teacher around all the schools and uh, so I grew up with this kind of dual language and heritage going on and um, I suppose I would describe myself as a tartan and shortbread tin you know I speak the language (laughs) I play the harp I sing Gaelic songs I kind of grew up going to Cayley's the very kind of stereotypical Scottish image that you think of would describe me on a surface level Um, but that's that's my upbringing it was just all about language and culture and Cayleys and stories and heritage and I suppose I say I grew up with my mum speaking it but really I grew up in a community that was that steeped me so well in the language and the culture it is it is me it's not something I do aside from my personality if that makes sense it's just this entirety of me that uh, that feels really really natural to me and so I guess choosing Gaelic for for music and and other parts of my career isn't so much a choice as just a natural progression. It's what I know. It's what I was steeped in. It's what surrounded me. And even from leaving home when I was seventeen, I came down to Glasgow and you know coming into Glasgow to go and study music and say uh, I studied Gaelic singing at the RCS and. Uh, even that was just an extension of what already was. So it's not so much a choice, but just just seemed like the natural natural path. And as you've walked this natural path, 
I guess, you know, it's not, um, it's not news to you that though it's your first language and a language, as you say, that you've been surrounded by and, and uh, kind of lived within the richness of, but it, it's a fading language potentially without support. So do you feel a kind of a sense of duty to uplift the language and the music you love, I guess is what I'm saying, um, you yeah. know, it, with not a lot of knowledge of, uh, of Gaelic at all <laughs> yeah massively and um so I suppose that might come as a surprise to people about the language being in a bit of danger so it's um in many ways it's thriving it's a protected language in law it's um there's like an explosion of Gaelic schools I mean I grew up my mom <laughs> speak about my mom again she was this total activist for Gaelic language she was one of the people back in the 80s who fought for Gaelic education her and a whole load of other people but um so there's been education but that would maybe be streamed education whereas now there's full entire Gaelic schools are starting to pop up so in education you've got the language really well protected there's a huge drive for recruiting teachers there's um loads in media that is promoting Gaelic so well um particularly through music programs um BBC Alipa was uh, the Gaelic channel that was set maybe oh 15 years ago maybe more I can't actually remember when it first started and a whole channel dedicated to Gaelic language and they they show the football they show cooking programs they've got really kind of cultural things crofting programs sheepdog trials but then they've got loads of music programs as well so that's these things education and media are kind of two areas that really really support the language and that is thriving but the decline comes in the the natural spoken language Gaelic is a living language so the decline in hearing it in the community going to the shop going you know out in the western isles you it would, wouldn't be uncommon to get on a bus to get on the bus pay your ticket and to have that entire conversation in Gaelic go down the shops and you hear it all in Gaelic but that's what's declining and the level of fluency I feel is somewhat somewhat declining um, but it's not being used as an everyday language, which is use it or lose it, basically. And there's a real worry at the moment that if people are not using it in their daily language, but only using it in work or in, I suppose, music on the stage, it's going to become nothing more than a written language in the books, in song books, in poetry books. And this is where I start to get my fire in my belly that I kind of went, oh, Actually, I do feel a responsibility towards it because it's been marginalised so badly over the years as a political tool to suppress people, to suppress, you know, you get in at your language first and that suppresses your heritage, your culture, your identity, your whole way of life gets suppressed. And that's what happened to the language. And people are waking up to it now or or maybe I'm waking up to it now. Maybe people were shouting about this for a while and it's taken me a bit of time to go, oh right I think I actually feel a responsibility no one's put it on me but I feel the responsibility I sing Gaelic I'm promoting myself as a Gaelic singer I kind of feel that I need to play my part in shouting about the language and speaking it and using it and actually playing my tiny part in in, in helping that 
because we're in trouble if we don't. So within that answer, you talked about uh, heritage and community and richness, but also within that uh, Gaelic being a, a form for change um, and how, you know, you're using it now because you're awakened to a need um, to preserve it, not just preserve it, but to celebrate it and progress it, right? And my limited understanding of the form is that that was, that was sort of always its role to document what was around it. And there's like a bardic tradition within Gaelic. Could you, could you tell us a little about that? Yeah, so I suppose when you're thinking of Gaelic singing in particular or Gaelic poetry, there's two main strands you've got your your bardic big kind of it's like classical poetry um and that's all tied in with the clan chief system and then your other strand would be your vernacular everyday work songs and light-hearted songs and dance songs and all of that stuff and i suppose the the bardic strand of the point of the poetry and of the songs is that you would have the the clan chief so we've got you know all our clans all around Scotland and um in their castles and you would have the clan chief would have their bard they would have their piper they would have their um clarser their harp player and all of these people they were employed basically with the role to praise the chief and the Gaelic bard would go over to Ireland for seven years of training and come back and be employed to, to create these wonderful pieces of poetry. But I suppose if you look at that poetry, it's quite constrained. And there's a thing, the panegyric praise code, where you can literally go through every line and right on, on line number three, you're going to be talking about the um, hunting qualities of the bard. And on the next verse, you're going to be looking at his generosity. You might have a line in the and and they please you know it's it's pretty staid it's pretty um old-fashioned you know um but then you've got your vernacular poetry and that was the outlet for the normal everyday person to come together and just comment on what's going on they're amazing songs when you so the work songs for example you get these walking songs so walking not with your feet but walking the process of um tightening the cloth once it's been woven and you'd uh, tighten the cloth together you would get all the women in the village they'd come together and they would bash the cloth off a table and that push and pull from it being bashed is going to tighten the cloth but what you end up with is a real steady beat and it would be a process that took hours so to pass the time you've got a really lengthy process you've got all the women in the village coming together you're going to get gossip so <laughs> this is the amazing <laughs> it's brilliant and it's brutal some of it's you know it's all right but some of it whew, you don't want to have you know been the <laughs> been up to anything because it's never mind the news being spread at the time the, the news is still being spread 200 years later <laughs> 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 but um so these are the kind of amazing insights into what community was really like. So you've got your you've got your gossip, you've got your um, heartbreak, you've got your relationships, you've got um, your political commentary. 
And that would come through the vernacular songs rather than your bardic songs because they were so constrained. Basically, if you're going to, you know, step out of line in the bardic songs, you're, you're going to be out of a job. Um, but interestingly, there, there is a woman who I absolutely adore. She's one of my total heroes and she straddled both camps there. And her name was Marianne Alistair Rooley or Mary McLeod. And she was just what a woman, right? She was the unofficial bard to Clan MacLeod of Dunvegan, which is up in the north of Skye, and Harris. So that north of Skye and kind of Harris out in the Western Isles were under one banner of Clan MacLeod. And she was this woman who she was a, a milkmaid, a, no, what's milk nurse. She was a milk nurse to the children, the heirs of Clan MacLeod. And when she was doing that, she found that she had an amazing skill in composing poetry. And But she was a woman and she was kind of around about 1600, something like that. So a woman with no seven years training off in Ireland, she kind of rocked the boat a bit. And she composed this um, beautiful tribute to one of the clan chief's sons and as a result the clan chief was raging and he banished her <laughs> he banished her away in a boat to another island and I think there's a bit of debate which island it was but she got sent away for being brilliant and naturally vocal and outspoken so anyway the story goes that the, the phrase poetry about heard about it and he was like oh, that's, that's kind of cool I'm quite happy with that and he he brought her back on the condition that she was never to compose poetry again. And she agreed, but she kept going because <laughs> she was a rebel and I love it. And she composed more poetry. And then of course she was, um, she was uh, in trouble for that again. And then she says, oh no, 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 it wasn't actually a song. It was just a wee ditty. So it doesn't really count. All right, okay, you get away with it. But then she was told, you're not allowed to compose poetry indoors or outdoors. So she was all right, okay, okay. So then she composed it on the threshold. <laughs> so I kind of, I love her craftiness. I love that she got around it every time. And what is, what's come out as a result is this amazing, talented woman really skilled in something that she wasn't trained in but she had such a natural ability she had sassiness about her and she was totally bold and she went for it she protested in her way and it was just to keep doing what she was doing against the clan chief who who really did kind of make you or break you I suppose you know they they were the high society and if you weren't in with them you were living a pretty poor life and she just went for it but she straddled both camps so she kind of composed that bardic poetry but she also composed um vernacular poetry and a couple of her songs a couple that I sing actually are just brilliant like there's one that I sing and I kind of think of her as the Taylor Swift of the Gaelic world where you know she got wrong she's like ah, I'm not having that and then her she retaliates to this these lies and gossip being spread about her and she puts the person who who told these untruths she puts it in her place and in this absolute kick-ass song and I love that if I bring it back to the walking songs and the the women coming together to walk the songs I love that that I suppose back in the day was 
whenever this song was originally sung for the very first time, it was sung to a sisterhood. And the, the fact that they accepted it and thought, yeah, absolutely. It then got re-sung. And I suppose that's something that just come recently. If that song wasn't accepted, if that kind of vocal outspokenness wasn't accepted and bear in mind, you know, of course, society wasn't open to women's voice. They accepted it though, and they passed that on through the through the years. And we're talking hundreds of years here. So it's almost I kind of think of it as this secret sisterhood, these kind of feminists back in the day, and maybe they didn't have the society where they could be open, but they deemed those songs really important enough to pass on through oral tradition. And I love that. I find that so powerful. And I think that's really reflective um, or really apparent in Gaelic song. And I suppose in, in in all folk songs, really, you know, you get that story that comes through the years, through the oral tradition. But I love that idea of kind of the sisterhood coming together and going, yeah, you've got a point here. Let's carry this on. And it reminds me a little bit, right, of the kind of underground railroad songs from the slave era right in the same way those songs were signals and calls and you know spaces of safety for people that if you heard this song you knew there was potential safe house etc like there's something about that tradition of keeping those songs alive somehow in kind of folk quite broadly that seems really important mm -hmm. but I guess you know for you you've really taken a focus right on the songs that are maybe less prominent um, you know, we know in British folk, for example, like the, the songs about women are always just the pretty fair maiden and, you know, the guy wants to get the girl and, you know, what happens. Whereas you're singing songs about, as you say, like that sisterhood and those kick-ass women who actually wanted to rebel and do stuff a little bit differently. Is that something you think is important to you to keep that narrative going? I think it's becoming a lot more important to me. And I think, I think... I've naturally been drawn to those songs. It's not necessarily a conscious decision, but the songs, so my album I just um, recorded last year, I didn't, I didn't do it with the intention to choose all fem female songs. And they're not all female ones, but the ones that are, are pretty strong. I think, do you know, I was having a think on this and I think actually the reason that I'm really drawn to them is I cannot do confrontation and I find that really, really difficult and I burst out crying any time I have to confront something or just something that's stressing me. I just find that really, really difficult. There's been a lot of tears in the last year. <laughs> but it's been um, a heavy year. <laughs> yeah, it really has. But I think what draws me to these songs on a subconscious level is that I find my voice I kind of find my opinion in those songs and I feel a real affinity to them and it took me ages before I realized oh I think I know why I'm drawn to them and because they've got such strong messages and I've got massive admiration for those who were composing and I say those because not just females but it, especially females who were composing in adverse times which we are in ourselves just now adverse times political just show am I allowed to say that <laughs> why not <laughs> all right um which we're in just now <laughs> we completely agree don't worry <laughs> <laughs> and um 
and I think I find my voice in them and I think that's I'm just realizing that that now and I'm like ah that's why I'm drawn to them and then as I realize that I become I have more confidence in speaking out myself and aligning myself to to my principles publicly you know so I, I really value those songs for that and they they have done me the world of good you know which is it's kind of nice it sounds really cheesy that I thank those songs for it but they have really helped to define me and define my voice which is kind of cool oh it doesn't sound cheesy I was just thinking it's that bit that we sometimes miss about music right that music is educational rather than music isn't just designed to entertain although that's great that it does that you know Mm -hmm. in the same way most books are you know or classic literature rather than you know kind of chiclet stuff that you find is designed yeah. to educate and make you think about the world and provoke you as well right yeah to get yeah create some sort of reaction in stuff yeah they do they totally challenge you something I kind of I wonder in myself I, I've always had this question in my mind of when do we forgive history you know at what point when the clans were all fighting and we're descendants of you know somewhere along the line we we come from whatever line we come from I'm not claiming any great like heritage here I'm just saying you know (laughs) whoever our ancestors are at some point there were feuds going on and then when do we kind of forgive those feuds because we sing these songs and actually the the subject matter in the songs is really gruesome and at what point do you forgive the history and at what point do you become really enraged at politics which becomes history you know it's kind of this this balance with folk songs and I think that I'm still trying to figure that out so we're talking about songs carried for literally hundreds of years and I didn't think it was cheesy at all when you were talking about how you know you're finding your voice within them I think that's very powerful and that's actually most people's experience of music right those of us that don't write it the rest of us, our lives market and other people write the words that we go. That's exactly how I feel. So I actually, I just think that's, that's just was such an eloquent way to put that very human experience of, of music kind of connecting up stuff that your brain just, just couldn't go or wouldn't go otherwise. And, and this thing of like the songs that come back hundreds of years later and they're forever sung and the sisterhood, just so much of what you've said, basically, it's just kind of all bubbling in my mind right now. And I'm thinking it's because it's all about the human condition, right? So these feuds that you talk about, we sing the songs and they're gruesome and they're interesting and they're fun and they're <laughs> great to research and they're all the things in between because, because it's, it's real or there's nuggets of realness in it as it's got passed down the line, right? And it also is reflective in strange ways often of the of the landscape now because it's about that human urge of, I want to be better than you, I need more than you, I need to protect my people, I love so-and-so, I hate so-and-so, and all those emotions haven't changed. Human hasn't evolved <laughs> beyond that. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like it's one of the barriers isn't it often with folk music we're kind of uh uh some people from the outside might view it as kind of worshiping what has gone before or dwelling on what has gone before but actually it's it's an evolving art form because it's so rooted in that human experience maybe (laughs) you nailed it 
banging cool (laughs) (laughs) so you've been um uh so you've been kind enough to explain to us like what some of um the songs on your album are are in in english um but of course you've got a really big project coming up that explores the tracks on aranta um so will you please tell us about that yeah well oh it's it's a big project it's um an idea that came about so I suppose a lot of people have asked me oh that's really nice but what do the songs mean and I feel that you don't always get the chance to really explore the songs um so the podcast series that I'm developing is going to look at the stories behind Gaelic songs which is really you you recognize but I also feel that so many people don't know the stories behind them And I thought it'd be a really nice opportunity to dig a bit deeper into them rather than this is a song about a woman who went on a boat. You know, there's hopefully going to be a lot more contextual information that surrounds it. But the podcasts are going to be interview based. And I've got a few people lined up who are kind of experts in Gaelic songs so that we can really get stuck into the song, how they sit in a social and political and economic climate and also just look at the themes that come up from them so there'll be feminism there'll be um political struggle there'll be immigration there'll be um all sorts of things like that and these themes are universal you know they've been felt through the years and they're felt across the world everyone can relate to that in some sort of way and uh, so I'm kind of excited but massively daunted about it because it's quite big (laughs) um but I'm um I'm looking forward to kind of furthering my understanding because I don't feel that just my own knowledge is enough I don't that won't do enough justice to it I feel like I want to further my understanding of it and just really really get further stuck into how it sits in in the Gaelic landscape and across the world in those themes and then hopefully be kind of a bit of an insight for others to kind of understand this beautiful tradition that we have. It sounds just so interesting <laughs> like you know I think you know we've definitely found that conversational element of running a podcast right really unearth your ability to dig deeper to think about different perspectives yeah. to think about thematic stuff that runs across stuff like the history Mm -hmm. nerd in me is like just so excited for what you're doing and I can't wait to hear some of those some of those episodes and some of the stories that come out you know we need we need more of that in the world in my opinion yeah or it's going to be a a project that will challenge me and help to define me more and just hopefully be a really enjoyable journey and I get to speak to lovely people and just have this lovely conversation like we're having just now which is just so exciting like you say changing your perspective and that's always such an important thing just to constantly be challenged and see new perspectives and hopefully that will just grow and grow yeah definitely and it'll enrich your art as much as it enriches you as a person or at least that's been our experience so far it's just um uh, it's been a really kind of nice it's being a, a solo artist I can describe it as being a bit narcissistic and it sort of isn't like we're nice <laughs> people but so much of your focus 
is like um you know how do I advance you know how it's my song and then how do I get my song out there and there's a lot of focus on the Mm -hmm. self and I think um definitely for myself as an artist having this outlet to kind of grow my understanding and Mm -hmm. speak to other people who as you say have much more knowledge about these topics than I do has been really um creative thing so um, I know people will absolutely love not only hearing the podcast, but kind of hearing uh, your growth and creativity that no doubt will bloom out of it. So thank you so much for spending uh, some time chatting with us today, Deirdre, and we wish you loads of luck for it and take care. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, that was just so inspiring. I feel like I learned so much when we spoke to Deirdre and I really hope that our listeners also enjoyed us um, taking maybe what felt like a bit of a segue into a new direction for Thank Folk for Feminism. If you want to learn more about Deirdre, you can visit deirdregraham.com and also bear in mind that she's got a podcast coming out at the back end of the year called Arunta. So please do support other women who are making podcasts. Yeah, that's going to be so fabulous, isn't it? The way she described it just sounds so great. So, yes, as we mentioned at the end of last month, we are changing things up a little bit here at Thank Folk for Feminism. And we're moving to one podcast a month rather than two so that we might have the time and the energy and the focus to do more really and to progress the conversations that we've been lucky enough to have on the show so far and to connect with you guys better across social media um so with that in mind with six months since we started this beast pinky six months (laughs) wow like I don't know it feels like a lifetime and two minutes all at the same time right (laughs) that's covid time right it means nothing anymore it just flows and certainly but I wanted to reflect on I I thought it'd be nice before we you know move into this new way of doing things to reflect on what we have achieved and the brilliant people that we've had join us for conversations on the show um so to date we've had 3,630 listens to our programs which is brilliant we're really really over well I'm over the moon about that (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't think we knew what to expect when we started, right? But that is just phenomenal, you know, particularly for what is in effect a fairly niche podcast. For sure, for sure. And, you know, I, 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 at some point during this process, we were like in the top 25 lists for listen to podcasts on Apple and things like that. So we've been, we're really appreciative and it, and it is growing each month, the people that tune in and, um, and subscribe and the podcast drops into their inbox or their, uh, you know, audio library or whatever it is automatically. So that's just such a high compliment. And um, across socials now we're like got 1,400 people following us. And, and as we say, you know, it, we didn't, realize how intense it was going to be trying to put out two a month we were just so excited and wanted to make sure that we had the space to speak to as many different people from different backgrounds as possible um and that means actually in many ways we've neglected all the things you're supposed to do on social for engagement and you guys are there anyway so we're excited to come and meet you there really on the uh, in the next stage of, of what this of what this is yeah and i think you know we're both 
absolutely over the moon, right? That we've been able to have a Pride Month and an Activism Month and a month exploring issues of sexual harassment, you know, and those conversations about what it means to be a woman in the folk industry, either as an artist or someone who's working backstage or as a fan and a consumer of the music. We've had conversations about mental health and issues about how we can be more trans inclusive. But I think, you know, we also both feel and reflect frequently about what are the things we're missing where is that ability to have live conversation you know i think we're both acutely aware that at times it's possible for us to tread into a space which is very white dominated and full of that privilege as well and what we're really hoping to do i think is free up a little bit more of that space i guess for reflection and to bring other voices into the conversation in new and different ways for sure, for sure. And it was really nice actually hearing you list the things that we've addressed in this six months because they're massive topics and we easily could have had like 10 shows on each one. Um, and uh, we've been so privileged with the people who've come on the show and spoken so openly um, about their experiences. And as people have heard um, through the course of listening to the podcast over the last six months, often women popping their heads above the parapet to say that the industry they work in hasn't been um, the world's greatest to them uh, from a perspective of gender bias um, at the small end of the scale and abuse at the big end of the scale is, is huge. So we've been really just privileged with the voices that have been shared and I'm excited that we're going forward with this new mix-up way of doing things so a podcast of people to consume in the way that they've expected thank folk for feminism thus far and also we're going to be hosting I'm really excited about this these these live chats the Friday feminist fix I've just decided it's called that by the way is that okay <laughs> absolutely <laughs> in my head that's what it's been since we discussed it the Friday feminist fix and uh, one Friday uh, uh, a month we're going to hop on socials and have a, a live conversation with some fabulous human being and we hope that you guys will be there and the first person we're going to be speaking to is the tremendous Maddie Morris who admittedly we found through artists recommending her on this podcast so she seems like the perfect fit to get the conversation rolling and to celebrate so there'll be more on that dropping into your mailing list shout outs and on socials very soon yeah and I make absolutely no apologies for all of the plays on TFFF that is going to come out of that if it's the Friday feminist fix you know because that's just an intuitive little play on our title there Lucy you know and I think Do that on purpose. those punished to come <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so proud of myself. Genuinely didn't do that on purpose. Happy days. There you go. That's how the subconscious works. That's it. This process is so deeply ingrained in me already. Um, so... <laughs> Cool. Well, you know, before we move on, Luce, why don't we take just a moment to reflect on some of the stuff we've learned over the last six months, right? So yeah. first up, yeah. tell me what your favourite moment's been. See, I'm really intrigued to see if your favourite moment is the same. <laughs> so, because I feel like this is just a, a, a iconic moment. So it was from, I believe it was our third episode. We were interviewing the tremendous Nancy Kerr and she had so many gems, including when we asked her what 
she thought of uh, traditional songs that included misogynistic lyrics. And she gave us this brilliant description of her carrying a flamethrower, <laughs> just saying, kill it with fire. <laughs> Yeah, you've um, absolutely thieved my favourite moment. And you know, we were we talked a long time ago about getting merch, and we wanted to put the uh, "Feminism is not a cream" by Nancy on a t-shirt. But I think we also have to put "Kill It with Fire" on a t-shirt too. I wonder if she'll allow us to get an illustrator to depict that Nancy with the flamethrower killing the misogyny with fire. Just, I just love it. <laughs> I love that it was your favorite as well I just think there was a moment right it was one of the first we it was one of the first ones we recorded we'd only recorded Peggy before that and like so many of the people who've joined us on the podcast today Nancy was so warm and so funny and when she came out with that it just was like yes it made me smile it gave me an insight into her as a person in a new way because with this podcast we've allowed We've made a space for people to talk about stuff they're not typically asked about on their local radio station promoting an album or even in like a meet the artists at a festival where you might delve into deeper stuff. These are big, big conversations. I'm so proud of all the things that that lockdown brought my way, that this was something we were able to do to give room to these voices to be heard. Yeah, I think it's been, you know, just super enlightening, right? And I think for me, you know, this real sense of I've laughed so much, you know, and for me, my feminism has always been at that sharp end of the stick. You know, my work background is working in the violence against women and girls sector, and I'm dealing with that, you know, really heavy, deep stuff day in, day out. And for me, it was bringing feminism back, not just to having those difficult, awkward conversations, but also, you know, having laughter, having celebration, women championing other women, you know, and really just learning and being inspired by having conversations I don't have time for have in the rest of my life. So, so right, so right. And I'm thinking about when we first set out to do this and we we wrote a, a press release about it before we'd even recorded any of it. So we were just assuming what it would be like. And we said that we wanted it to be um, fierce and joyful and fun and uplifting. And actually, I think it's all of those things. And I'm not even suggesting that that's, you know, down to me and you. It's just, as you say, it's just grown into this really joyful beast that also has room for this bigger stuff. So tell me, what has been your most surprising moment so far? I think actually it's probably some of the reaction we had to Ella's interview. And I think the number of um men who contacted us and said you know my god i hadn't realized that you know i really appreciate ella's tenacity her willingness to speak to have her voice heard you know those questions about what they could do differently to change stuff i think you know again i'm so used to being the feminist killjoy you know and <laughs> you know having my face on men's rights activism groups and just you know not having people engage with these conversations and so to actually have people say oh yeah actually we can be part of the change here we can do something different again was really heartening you know and that's not 
you know, to use that quip, you know, not all men, you know, that's not to say in my working life that I haven't come across some absolutely wonderful and brilliant allies, but the speed with which people responded to that, I think was just overwhelming and really heartening for me. Certainly. And uh, Ella, Ella Joy Hunton, who um, who spoke to us about her experiences of abuse within the folk scene. I mean, wasn't she just so funny and candid and powerful? Um, I hadn't really had a I don't think I had had a conversation with her before she came on the show. So I didn't know what to expect. And I think that her her warmth was really captivating. So even though it probably was one of the heaviest subject matters that we'd addressed um it it still had that uh, a buoyancy a power a togetherness to it and as you say the response was amazing it's been funny actually because we've been having this conversation recently especially as we go to one podcast and more live things on social media is how do we get the balance right so you know there's the people at the top end of the folky spectrum who we think and hope will draw in lots and lots of listeners to find these new conversations but we this show shouldn't be that it's about the, if it's not inclusive, it's nothing. So it's got to be for young artists, small artists, older women, uh, people of colour, trans people. Like we, That's what we want. Um, and they're not always going to be the big names. And actually what we noticed after Ella was uh, that we needn't worry because if the conversation is interesting, you guys out there have listened um, and it didn't matter to you that Ella was a young woman whose music you might never have heard before you wanted to be part of the conversation and that that you're right that really was awesome so now we move on to lessons learned <laughs> and I think probably personal lessons for uh, personal lessons for both of us would be about um uh proof that we're the sort of people that say yes to things without <laughs> any consideration at all ah <laughs> uh, yes um and I'm not I'm I'm getting to a place in my life where I'm kind of cool about that (laughs) yeah yes first worry later yeah yeah and it isn't that this has been you know sort of uh like stressy or hellish I don't want you guys to be out there thinking that we've you know slaved but definitely there isn't space for it to be everything we want it to be and um and so that is a lesson learned but I feel you know, if if we'd have been planners, Pinky, we might have realised this and started with one and done all the things we want to do with socials and uh, merch and events and things like that right at the beginning. But actually, you know, the truth of the matter is that this is an organic beast. It will go for as long as it is wanted and needed and is fun um, for us to create and for you to listen to. Um, and so, like that's a big lesson learned and from the perspective of what I've learned from the podcast I mean so much so so much from the experiences of these women I think for me one of the particular moments was some of the conversations that we've had with our um, LGBTQ plus women and um, in my cis straight heteronormative way although I could talk the talk of inclusivity I've been party to some 
really, really powerful and personal conversations. And that's been really kind of humbling to me. And I think is what I've taken away most from this is that um, is that always listening is the way forward to inclusivity and inclusion. And you said a great thing that I've really taken on board. It's that it's not enough that there's a seat at the table. You have to alert people to the fact that it's there. And I guess that's true of all um, all uh, divisions in society and all differences, isn't it? A matter of inclusivity. It's not just a, a, an LGBT issue, but that that thing of we as a folk scene are not doing enough to to show our inclusivity to really really um walk the walk and not just talk the talk so that's what I've been grateful for yeah I think you know I feel like I've learned so much in such a short space of time you know there's been some real personal learning I guess for me in terms of you know my confidence was pretty low when we started this and actually like having that space to find my voice and talk about you know my truth in my way has been really important for me but I think there's also been something about being able to take a step back and really understand some of the privileged position that I do sit in actually and the fact that for me it's not dangerous and it's not risky to talk about this stuff like I can say what I want because I'm a professional feminist, for want of a better word, you know, I work for a feminist organisation, we talk about gender, we talk about intersectionality all of the time. And, you know, I'm well versed in it. And there's never a negative consequence if I do that, you know, and it's my value as well as the value of my working life, those two things really come to a head. And I guess I hadn't realised what the risks might be for women in the industry if they were going to raise their heads up if they were going to you know put their heads above the parapet as you say you know and use their voices and what that might mean or change or divert for women's careers you know and so i guess there was just uh, a learning for me about the fact that maybe sometimes people aren't not speaking not because they don't want to or they don't know how to but actually because that's a safe position for them mm. um and mm. to just think about that kind of stuff a little bit more you're so right you're so right and I think um Grace Petrie and Rachel McShane when she came to speak to us were a bit collective um and Jen Butterworth actually as well a bit collective or they all had really really powerful reflections on how um, the choices they've made to speak out on feminist issues have directly affected positively and negatively their careers. And it was something that I hadn't really considered when we uh, fully, when we jumped into this, Um, but it's definitely something that the podcast has felt a safe place to express these opinions and feelings that I have you know just personally um and it was interesting to me I've done a couple of couple of interviews in the interim where I've spoken about the fact that this is what I've done this is where I've channeled my creativity and this time couldn't be on the road and all that kind of stuff and it is it's a weird a weird line that I'm learning to to walk to rate you know I'm happily talk about so many political issues but for some reason I think feminism had been a barrier to me for a lot of the reasons we've discussed on the podcast so um you know again it, it's kind of just been this great opportunity to 
exercise my voice and my opinions and to learn I've learned so much from you even just the just the language of inclusivity that I just wasn't party to because I wasn't having these kind of conversations has just been a huge a huge growth um so we've nattered on for a long time about this and I don't know how interesting this is for the for our listeners what have we learned in six months what have you learned tweet us tell us um, but what um what what haven't we done yet because we've spoken a lot about like we want to free up time but what haven't we done yet that we would like to do or address yeah I think you know there's a lot of those live conversations right that actually I think we realized when we interviewed Amy and Fluff together was more of a panel conversation how powerful it was you know and same with Bit Collective having more than one person on a call and so I think for me there's a real benefit in being able to do some of that stuff and being able to do it in real time so that you know people can engage and have that conversation I desperately want to get t-shirts like I need (laughs) more feminist tees in my wardrobe it's purely selfish but you know I'm going to be walking around in crop tops soon if I'm not careful so (laughs) that side of stuff I guess getting our creative juices flowing and coming up with a dodgy pun for the tea towel that I still haven't nailed yeah you're just Uh, like determined that we must have a tea towel which I absolutely love yeah you did right actually I hadn't thought about that that panel panel thing but there was I mean obviously Bit Collective they know each other they work together so that was one thing although it was amazing to have so many voices pitching in but to have Fluff and Amy Shrewsbury and Cambridge Folk Festival in a room talking about stuff it felt like there was creativity sparking I really think things will I know really hope things will come from that conversation for them as just people that have connected about about this topic and matter and um and I think that would be a really cool way for us to progress connecting people who wouldn't normally get an opportunity to speak um and yeah and as you say doing that in real time yeah t-shirts all that kind of stuff to reflect on what you said earlier I think you know we definitely um still have a long way to go to reach the diversity and inclusive place that we wanted to be in we've made some brilliant um strides and I think the age range of people we've spoken to on the podcast you know has been really great as well and um but there's definitely more we can do so that that's on my mind for what I want to have achieved by the end of the year with this and I'm really really pumped for events (laughs) I'm just I like this idea maybe it's a festival or maybe it's a it's a touring show but uh, but it's not just about bringing you guys our listeners awesome musicians to hear that may or may not have explicit messages of inclusivity and uh feminism in their music but more just this thing of like I feel like me and you, Pinky, we could put on an amazing gig, one that like has inclusion and creativity and fun, like right at the very core of it from the minute you like walk up at the car park and you're considering like how do people who, uh, you know, use walking aids or wheelchairs, how do they get into this building? How do they feel? Is there space or are they, are they accommodated for, you know, and this thing of like, you know, how do we signpost our inclusion in a way that doesn't like finger point, like all the people that feel a little different come this way, you know, it's like, I just feel like we could create this amazing cozy 
special atmosphere where everyone from every background could feel like this folk music is for them. And I'm, I'm excited to explore that. And perhaps, you know, this is totally a pipe dream, but perhaps that will be in, um, in conjunction with some festivals that are trying to make that stride or folk clubs or venues. And we could learn and create together. I don't know, but that's, that's what I want to do. The all good feminist festival. Oh, everything. TFFF. Everything. There's not a T, there's not an F. It's not happening, is it? Which means we can only serve tea and food. Fondant fancies. Oh, fancies, though. I know, but how do you make vegan F? Vegan. 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 It's going to be fluffle. Fluffle. <laughs> there you go, guys. It's the Feminist Falafel Festival. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure we're onto a winner with that. I don't think we are. I mean, chickpeas are good, but I don't think everybody feels as passionately about them as we do. <laughs> oh, I love it. On that note. Yeah, we, we should, should stop talking. <laughs> we should probably bid everybody adieu for now, but what can they look forward to later this month, hopefully? They can see us online on the 28th of July. We'll be chatting, chatting live to the fantastic singer-songwriter, Young Folk Award winner and feminist activist Maddie Morris for our very first The Friday Feminist Fix. Um, and people can make sure that they sign up to our mailing list over on the website, thankfolkforfeminism.co.uk, or be following us on all the social places to find out more about that as it happens um and then next month we on the first wednesday we'll be dropping another podcast just as you've come to expect from us um but we'll keep um that under wraps for just now oh thanks loose i look forward to all of that very very much and i hope our listeners do too take care This podcast was a Betty Beetroot production. Ooh.